0: We've been going through a series on Proverbs out there. And um, unfortunately, Proverbs is a little different than other books. If you're teaching through uh, narrative, you just pick a story and you, can, and you can talk through the story. If you're teaching through an epistle, you pick a passage and talk through the passage. Proverbs is wisdom literature, so it's a jumble of, of um, wise sayings mixed throughout. So what we've been doing is t- picking different topics and looking at what Proverbs says about them. And the cool thing about Proverbs is it is incredibly concrete, um, Proverbs deals with topics and shows how they apply to our life. Um, and so this week we'll be talking about pride and humility, um, which is a relevant thing hopefully to all of us. Um, I do realize one important problem that I did not think about beforehand, but some of you might be thinking, who is this random character um, and w- like, why should I listen to him about pride and humility? And people seem to like, uh, if you've got you know, accreditation behind your name so I decided to write a book on humility Um, so best-selling author and scholar and just shows all the different things I've been learning about humility but um, so (laughs) if if you're wondering you know if is the person accredited you can just say that he was he was an author and a scholar on the subject so um, enough of that I would like to share with you something that was written by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote um, Chronicles of Narnia. Perhaps you've seen the movies. There are several movies came out. In, well, it's probably a long time for them too. But um, within the last uh, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, but he also wrote a book called Mere Christianity. Um, which if you ever get, if you have not read it and you get a chance to, I would certainly encourage you to read it. But chapter 8 is about pride. And he says this. I now come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no one in the world is free and which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else and of which hardly anyone ever imagined that they are guilty themselves. I've heard people admit that they are bad-tempered or that they cannot keep their heads about drink or even that they are cowards. But I don't think I've heard anyone accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have... Very seldom met anyone who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes someone more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. So that's pride. Pride and humility are tough to define because... They don't give clear and, and concrete fruit. If you were to ask what makes a liar a liar, it's someone who, you know, lies. Um, if you were to ask someone who's, a, a, what is the fruit of being a gossip, it's someone who goes around talking about other people. Those are very easy to see, concrete. I am gossiping all the time, so therefore I should probably confess my sin of being a gossip. But what is the, 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 the sin of, or what is the fruit of pride? I have spent many hours wrestling with this, trying to find a definition of pride and humility. The simple answer is that pride is thinking better of yourself and humility is thinking less. But that seems somewhat incomplete and not helpful in many ways. I do have some definitions, and I will share those in a moment. But in the meantime, this is the main idea that I want you all to think about today. God and pride cannot exist together. They push each other apart. But humility is what brings us closer to God and leads to a life of joy. So God and pride cannot exist together. They push each other apart. But humility is what brings us closer to God and leads to a life of joy. So as we look in Proverbs, we will see that God hates pride, that pride leads to destruction, but humility will lead to joy. So let me pray, and then we will dive right in. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come here and uh, speak with some of these people that I um, just haven't seen in such a long time. Lord, I thank you for um, the lives of everyone in here. Um, I thank you that you have continued to bless this church. And I pray that as we read your word, that you would break our hearts um, and open us um, to what you have to, ta- to say to us. And I pray that your spirit would speak through me um, and that you would cause the growth in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. So the first thing, we're going to dive right into Proverbs. The first thing is that God hates pride. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 6. 6. Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, there's this nifty little list of things that God hates. I'm going to start in verse 16. Verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. These are things that the Lord hates. And look at what is number one on that list. Haughty eyes. I guess if pride would have a fruit, this could be perhaps one of them. um, Being characterized by, by looking down on other people. Uh, But of all of these things, these are things that that are an abomination to God, pride finds itself squarely number one on that list. Uh, Turn to Proverbs 8.13. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. So the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and God hates pride and arrogance, the way of evil and perverted speech. I think this is interesting, that that notice how God uses the word hate. This is not disinterest, this is not dislike. Um, this is something that is an abomination to him. And I think that's different from our culture how we tend to view pride Um, I think there's some sins that are intolerable that when somebody does it we're like oh that person out but someone who's prideful we tend to overlook that Um, if you look at our athletes our idols our politicians so many of them are characterized by arrogance and pride and sometimes we just overlook that and we're like well that's just who they are that's just part of part of what they do but That's not how God looks at it. Now, the question is, why does God hate pride? I think this is where all of my wrestling with pride comes down to. Everything that we have, are able to do, is ultimately a gift from God. We've been given life. We live in America, so we've been given great possessions. If you're healthy, you've been given... A healthy body. Um, All of these things are blessings, but but pride tries to take the place of God. Pride says, I did this, or I have this, or I am this, therefore I deserve something. Pride says, I'm the author of that which we know to be a gift. Pride says that this this thing that, that is good about me, this is not a gift from God. This is something that I have earned. I have worked hard for this. I'm the author of this, and therefore you should glorify me. It's plagiarism. Um, my first year at college, we had to take all those general classes that aren't very helpful, but you have to take them anyways. And um, two of them, English 101 and English 102, um, were like the the most hated classes in the school um, they were pretty easy for me because i got a good education in grammar but english 102 was the class that like 10 students would go in and six would come out and just four would just just disappeared but that's actually really sad i don't know <laughs> we'll always laugh laugh at that but um, english 101 we talked about a lot of grammar rules and one of the things we talked about was plagiarism Plagiarism is taking credit for someone else's work. So, for example, if we talked about um, C.S. Lewis, if I were to, to uh, download a copy of the, of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, copy it, paste it on a document, send it into the, to the printers and have it published under my name, there would be a problem. I mean, probably no one would actually ever read it, but um, plagiarism is, is taking credit, taking the glory that is due for someone else. And pride says, I have done this, I have earned this, therefore I deserve to be glorified. And so it takes the glory that God is due for what you have done. And so when God looks down and he sees people taking glory for what he has given, what he has done, you can see how he would hate that. So God hates pride for that reason, but also because it causes destruction and it leads to destruction both in ourselves and in the people around. Go to Proverbs twenty six twelve. Proverbs twenty six twelve. Do you see a man who is wise in his in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Several weeks ago at my church, we talked about foolishness and folly and just looked at the dangers that that can lead to. But this verse says that there's more hope for a character like that than for someone who is characterized by pride. So pride has major consequences. Proverbs 16 18, an oft quoted verse, says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride leads to destruction. I think one of the best ways to illustrate pride is um, to take an example from the Bible. So we're going to jump, go over to Daniel 4. This is the part where your fingers might get numb from jumping around, I don't know. Go over to Daniel 4. we're going to read a brief story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. So, verse 28. Actually, I'm going to go a little farther. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he wills. Let's think about who Nebuchadnezzar was for a moment. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Babylon was the, the greatest city at that time. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was the one who made the golden statue and he was the one that put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I remember when I was little, um, we had a video about Rakshak and Benny and there was a giant statue of a chocolate bunny, but that's not in the Bible. (laughs) But Nebuchadnezzar... Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he was the world power. If you know the story of Jonah, Jonah is told to go to preach to the city of Nineveh. And Noah says, "Nope, I'm not doing that." Goes the opposite direction. And God swallows him up in a fish, spits him out, and then Noah decides to go and preach. Why did Noah not want Noah? Oh my goodness. Why did Jonah? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which basically they were the big big bad guys of that time. The Syrians were the ones who were just taking over everybody. And Nineveh was their capital. So they were the the most powerful people. Well, Nebuchadnezzar and his people beat those guys. He was also the one that attacked Jerusalem several times. The last time he razed the city and the temple to the ground and took the people into captivity. So if there was anybody at this point in time who could... Declare being the top dog, it was he. There was nobody who could match his power. But he looks over a city, and he's filled with pride. And he says, look at the city that I have made with my great power. He says, I have built this. I have become this. Therefore, I deserve to be glorified. Nebuchadnezzar was not the center of the universe. He may have felt like it, he may have wanted to, but he was not. And yet he tried to declare himself to be worth being glorified as the center of the universe. He thought he was the author of his success. And then something that's somewhat amusing is God humbles him. Sometimes it's you have to be careful when you personify God, but you can almost picture God looking at Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's there flexing his muscles, showing off all his jewels, and then God's like, okay, gone. Just takes his mind. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't really know exactly what happened, but his mind goes, and he gets driven out of his palace and has to live in the fields as an animal for a time. Completely humbled. Not just humbled to not just humble to the position of a normal human peasant, but to the position of an animal. All his glory and power gone before God. Pride causes destruction. Do you see the evidences of pride in your life? I suppose another fruit of pride would be that there's destruction in our own lives and damage in the lives around us. When you look around, do you see a swath of broken relationship and hurt friendships wherever you go? Do you see the effects and the damage of pride in your own life? This is so, so hard for us to see our own pride because by definition it blinds us but I think one of the best ways to identify it is to look and say the people around us my friends my enemies would they say that my life has brought damage and hurt to their relationship with me I think when we're dealing with the the blinding aspects of sin sometimes we have to look for evidences That's one of the reasons another reason why God hates pride is that it leads to this in our lives Does that characterize you? Would your family or your friends or people that are around you that don't particularly like you, that are honest, would they say that you are characterized by pride? I think sometimes we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to know the answer. One of the most beautiful things, though, about stories in the Bible is the way that they end. If I I were God and I had just seen somebody take something that I had given him and then declare it to be his own, I would have been like, you know what, you can play in the dirt for the rest of your life. I'm not giving that back. But God did not leave Nebuchadnezzar where he was. And thankfully, he doesn't leave us where we are either. Nebuchadnezzar's sense came back, his mind returned, and with that, all of his glory and power and strength. And he was reset up as the king of Babylon. But if you read verse 37, notice his attitude. Daniel 4 verse 37. It's actually funny because we actually sang these exact words in our song today, which is amazing. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar didn't become a a Jew or a Christian on that day. He was probably pagan to his death. But one difference that we do see in him, previously he thought he was the author of his success, and now he realizes that's not true. He was still the king of Babylon, but his attitude towards the, the source of his power was different. It is interesting, Nebuchadnezzar's reign ended in glory. He did not, he did not fall, he did not lose his power, but his, his son and grandson were ruling Babylon together and another group of people came over and God said, okay, this new group of people, now it's your turn to be glorified. And just like that, the blessing was taken away from Babylon and a new people were given that glory. So even, even Nebuchadnezzar's glory, um, when God was finished with them and was choosing to use somebody else, um, that power was gone. But I don't want to talk about pride the whole time. So God hates pride and it leads to destruction. But what is the opposite? Humility leads to joy. Proverbs 22, verse 4. It's our last proverb. Proverbs 22, verse Verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And one might think that humility leads to a gloomy life. Our culture might tell you that, that the humble person is the one that's, that's down on themselves all the time, that's self deprecating that gets pushed around, gets taken advantage of. But that's actually... The opposite. The self-deprecating person, first of all, which is something that I sometimes, many times fall into, is pride too. Because saying, woe is me, I don't deserve anything, leave me alone. They're saying, I don't deserve it, which might be true, but I don't want Your help. I don't want grace. And that's the opposite because if I were to want it, I would have wanted to deserve it. And if I therefore deserved it, I wish that I had earned it. And so saying, woe is me, stay away from me, I don't want your help, that is pride as well. And we will see that in a moment in another illustration. Humility, the humble person, looks at the gifts that have been given, the grace, and realizes what they are, gifts. The humble person can look at life and receive it and say, thank you. What if we looked at all of our life as a gift? What if we were characterized by thankfulness? Growing up, we had to always whenever we were talking to people, we had to always look at people in their eye, and if not, there'd be a parental hand that would direct. (laughs) And we had to always say, thank you. So saying thank you, or there would be like a beeping noise, so saying thank you was a part of my growing up, but did that characterize, did that cultivate uh, an attitude of thankfulness? Maybe. But there's still so many areas in my life that are not characterized by thankfulness. Do you look at, at the daily parts of your life and say thank you for them. This has probably been one of the hardest parts of studying this. It's trying to look at every part of my life and be thankful for it. We tend to be thankful for the things that are unexpected, that are huge blessings, but what about the things that you don't understand? What about the little things that we take for granted? I know I tend to not be thankful For those, Um, one part of life that sometimes feels like death to me, and my grandmother will know, is praying before I eat. Because it feels like a ritual, it feels like something that you do every time, and sometimes it's somewhat meaningless. But as I was studying this over several weeks, it took on a different light, because suddenly... Instead of doing something so that I can get through it, so I can get to what I really want, I have a way of redirecting my mind towards thankfulness and gratefulness. Instead of being focused on, oh, give me, give me, give me, I can say, well, I have this. I'm very hungry, but this is a gift from God. What, What would our lives look like if we were characterized by being thankful all the time? Humility leads to joy because it allows us to look at life as a gift and to be thankful for it. But also it can be joyful in a way that pride cannot. There's two areas in which pride cannot be grateful. First off, if you think that you deserve something, if you say I've worked hard on this, I deserve to be to be glorified for it. What happens when you're not? If you achieve something, or you accomplish something, or um, or you are something, whatever, and you're not recognized for it, and you, you don't get the glory and the reward that you feel like you deserve, well, now you've got a worldview problem because, in your mind, this is something that should be coming to you, but it's not. The humble person looks and says, well, it's, it's all a gift anyway, so if I don't get recognition, I didn't deserve it anyways, it was a gift, and if I do, well now I can rejoice because I got all this recognition that I didn't deserve. Perhaps, perhaps you are, perhaps you have done something and, and, and you have gotten the recognition and the glory that you so desire. What happens when another person who is better than you comes into the area? When you have two people who both view that they are the center of their, their world in the same world? If you've ever watched Toy Story, the main character, Woody, is a, is a doll and as an action figure, actually, because he's a guy. But um, he has on his back, on his back there's a ring with a string. When you pull it, he says something. And one of the things he says is, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. And that's the problem. That's the problem that you get when you have two people who are characterized and full of pride. They both want to be the center of Their world. The last sentence of C.S. Lewis's quote says, The more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Because the more we have it, the more we feel threatened by someone who is also fighting for our spot. I have found many times that in areas that I am confident, if I am competent in something, if I am, uh, I don't know, the oldest or the the coolest in a group, I feel very outgoing and ready to, to look at others. But if somebody who's better than me has something comes in, my confidence goes out the window and I tend to shy away because they are now threatening the place that I want to be. Because I want to be that center, important person and this other person is now threatening that. The humble person doesn't even have to worry about that because they're like, sure, you can have the center. I don't deserve it anyways. I'm grateful just to be here. You've heard the phrase, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The last several years in Kentucky, I've worked as a server at a variety of different places. And servers um, make all of their money from their tips. Just going to throw that out there. Um, I don't know if those are guilty laughs, but some days, some days you'd have two servers who, one of them who just had a really rough day. You know, maybe they worked very hard and their tips were just not very good. And so a lot of their income just was gone. And so you'd have them discouraged, maybe crying depending on who they are, depending on how bad it was. And there was always a group of people putting their arms around them and saying, it's okay, you're going to have a better day tomorrow. That was easy to do. But what was hard was if the person next to you looks at their booklet and starts jumping and and yelling because they got a big chunk of cash. It was hard to rejoice with people who were doing well. Because in your mind, at least in my mind, I worked really hard. Why do you get that and I don't? See, pride influences so many areas of our life. But being humble says, I'm grateful that you can experience that. I'm grateful for what I've gotten. So the humble person can experience joy in a ways that the proud person cannot. Now to wrap up all of this, I want to give you the ultimate example of humility. The problem with all of this, and with right and wrong in general, is that we can say, I'm going to be more humble. It lasts for about 10 seconds. This morning I was praying for um, humility. And I realized partway through that I was so proud that I was praying for my humility. And... <laughs> but that's the problem, right? Any... I mean, there you can muscle down and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do what's right. But at some point, it's not easy to do that. And we falter. So, we've got to have something to cause lasting change. Last time we're going to switch. Go to John 13. John 13. We're going to see the ultimate example of humility. It's funny how you can read parts of the Bible and never really notice them until you do, and then you realize that they're amazing. John 13. We're going to start in verse 3. Now, previous to this part in the story, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's been hanging out in Galilee. He's come to Jerusalem a couple times, but he's been hanging out in Galilee. And finally he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And as he comes, it's, it's Passover time, and his disciples go and get a, 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 a donkey, and Jesus rides it into town. And as he does, the people that are with him go before him, throwing their cloaks and palm branches on the ground, worshiping him. If there was a point in Jesus' ministry that he was glorified like he deserved, it was this point, coming into Jerusalem, having everybody saying, here comes the king. Later, Jesus is eating with his disciples, and in verse 3, we read this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wish to wash my feet?' Jesus answered, "'What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand.'" Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, and he resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You say that I am teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus gets up from dinner and washes his disciples' feet. I want you to think about who Jesus was for them. They had followed Jesus for three years. Jesus had preached to thousands, had fed tens of thousands. He had healed people, he had shown power over nature, over the spiritual forces of the world, he had shown even shown power over death, raising his friend Lazarus from the grave. Jesus was the one that said, Before Abraham was I am, and the Jews, knowing that he was declaring to be deity, picked up stones and tried to kill him, but even in that they were unsuccessful. And now here he was, washing their feet. He could have required his disciples to wash his feet. That would have been just. If Jesus, then our Lord, humbly served others, should we not do the same, be characterized by the same? Notice, though, how Peter responds in verse 6 through 8. He didn't want to, he did not want Jesus to wash his feet. A teacher serving his pupils would have been weird, not wrong, But Jesus responds, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. See, following Jesus, living a life that is characterized by humility, is not a matter of saying, I'm going to be more humble. It is a matter of receiving the gift that has been given. Jesus' servanthood was free And to follow him, we must receive that as a gift. This is important. Because think about what happened just a few days later. The creator of the universe allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that the ones he loved could have a part in the glory that he deserved. We are not the center of the universe. We don't deserve glory. We don't have anything in our of ourselves that is not a gift. And yet we try to take that. We try to take that which is not ours. Jesus, on the other hand, literally was the center of the universe. The only human who could be glorified. But Philippians 2 says that he did not count equality with God as something to be held onto. And he humbled himself, giving that that position up and took on the form of a human and was killed for us. For those of you in here, I don't know this group at all. Perhaps those are in here who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the person that is calling out to you. The one who would give up everything that was deserved so that you could have a share in what he gave up. He just wants a relationship with you. But for those of you who do, who would say, yes, I do have a relationship with Jesus. I am trying to follow him. Being humble is still so hard. And living a life that is characterized by that is so difficult. Follow Jesus. Read of Jesus. I was talking to a professor a couple days ago and he said that He suggested reading the Gospels like every week. Jesus is the concrete example that we can follow. Because he's already beaten sin and death. And if you have a relationship with him, then you are called to imitate him. Proverbs shows that God hates pride, and pride leads to destruction, humility leads to joy. We have examples of what that looks like. (laughs)